0: So, I'm Koi Vin and this is Wireframe. Actually, Wireframe's first online remote watching party, but just for the producers. (laughs) Okay, guys, who's been spending the pandemic binging on Netflix?
1: I've actually been on Amazon Prime more than I used to be. I finally got my partner hooked on
0: uh, Battlestar Galactica. (laughs) Okay. Miriam, Remetullah, what have you guys
2: been watching? I've binge-watched a lot of Ozark. Mm. I had, like, two weekends where I watched every single episode. (laughs) Like, my whole weekend was just a write-off. People were calling me to chat, and I'd be like, oh, sorry, gotta go, gotta go. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) And
3: like Dom, I've been watching a lot of um, Amazon Prime, particularly Downtown Abbey, which (laughs) I've recently (laughs) uh, been hooked to.
2: One thing that I've started doing is... Calling a friend to watch a show with them. Like I watched all of Tiger King with my friend on the phone and us just <laughs> <laughs> like making commentary about it.
0: Uh, actually this is great because the reason we're all here together is to try to watch something together, even though we're spread across several different cities.
1: So we're gonna use this this app you sent around,
0: right? Yes, CNER. It's just a Chrome plugin. And the tagline is co watch shows with friends. We're gonna watch something on Netflix today, so Okay. Create private okay. theater. So I'm logged into Netflix too. Okay. I see Dom. I see Miriam. Oh, this is cool. There's like a like a like mm-hmm. a chat window on the side. Oh. Yeah. So let's watch something uh, that we would never watch otherwise. Well, there's this show
1: called Space Force. Uh, it's from the writers of The Office. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good to me. <laughs> okay, let's do it. Okay, so I'm gonna hit play and then hopefully it's gonna play on everybody's screen. All right.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Lovely. Is it working? Oh, yes.
3: Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Cool. It's working. Okay.
0: This is that's so wow, cool. Oh, nice. We just got the Netflix logo. Let's all do this together. Okay. okay ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the Wireframe team trying to watch something together with Scenor. Now, Cener is one of a handful of apps that more or less do the same thing. They add a social layer to streaming services with video and chat windows, It's something that can be very useful and a lot of fun when you're home alone and you can't leave the house, which a lot of us can relate to this year. And while Scenar is a fun way to have a movie night, it doesn't really solve the most fundamental problem around movie night, which is deciding what to watch and on what streaming service. Now, answering these questions isn't getting any easier, either. Every platform is pushing more and more content at us every single day. And more services keep popping up all the time. NBC's Peacock, HBO Max, and Quibi, these services all launched just within the past few months. So the competition for our subscription dollars is ratcheting up yet again. And if you're trying to attract an audience... How do you win over that audience? Is it as simple as having the best content? Or could a well-designed user experience be the key to landing loyalty? I'm Koi Vin, Senior Director of Design at Adobe. And this is Wireframe, a podcast about how design helps technology fit into our lives. From Adobe XD. It takes robust digital interfaces to deliver quality content to online audiences. And a tool like Adobe XD can help you build the websites, apps, and digital platforms that you need to reach your users. Find out how XD's powerful features will help you tell your story. Visit adobe.ly slash tryXD.
1: Koi, I know that you're a huge movie buff, yeah? Uh, yep, I am. So I'm always picturing you kind of digging into like every corner of every niche, obscure (laughs) online video streaming service you can find for something to watch. Fair?
0: Yeah, I mean, all the time. Uh, Folks, this is Dominic Girard, by the way. Yeah, I'm one of the
1: Wireframe producers. Yeah, welcome back. Thanks. So so in this episode, Koei, we're going to explore just how important having a top-notch user interface is to online video streaming services.
0: And there's... A lot of room for innovation and experimentation in this space. Yeah. We kind of saw that when we were playing with Siener earlier. And in fact, I reached out to the CEO
1: of the app uh, to learn more about why he built it. Um, His name is Daniel Strickland. He's in Seattle. And uh, here he is.
4: From the beginning, the driving idea behind all this is that TV and movies are more fun together. We like to go to movie theaters together in groups or as a couple, and some of that was lost in the early move to streaming where things weren't all showing at the same time. There wasn't the 8 o'clock prime time where everyone watched the same show, or there was just so much content to watch, the chances of you watching the same show as a friend was much less.
0: Yeah, I think all of that makes sense. And, you know, when we were using it, Dom, I really liked how simple the idea is. I mean, it Mm. promises to do one thing, and it does it pretty well. Yeah, and it was clearly simple by
4: design. We wanted the app to be something that was appealing to users, that they could say, like, oh, this is an app that's fun. And then we wanted it to be very, very easy to use. So you can imagine all the challenges that go into designing an easy-to-use video conferencing application like Zoom or Google Hangouts, and then take all that complexity and add onto that a layer of having to sync someone's content service like Netflix or HBO with several other people.
0: Yeah, that is a pretty hairy challenge because they're essentially trying to bolt one user experience, theirs, on top of a whole other experience, the the experience of the streaming platform itself. and You can really kind of tell, right? Yeah. To get it all working, like Scener has to open up a couple of different browser windows on your desktop, and it has to walk you through a few pretty manual settings. I mean, it's pretty straightforward overall, but it does feel kind of hacked together. I mean, you can really see the seams. So, I mean, I doubt that they think that their work is done here. Yeah, they absolutely don't feel like their work
4: here is done.
1: Daniel says they're constantly iterating.
4: I would say we're on maybe the 12th version of the UI in terms of how things get laid out and where the controls are and what the different elements of the UI are and how they work.
0: Yeah, if you're on your 12th version, that's got to mean that you've been incorporating a ton of feedback from your users along the way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And there are quite a few users. Daniel says that they measure about 100,000 users on the service every single week. Uh, He actually gave me one example of a feature that was built purely out of user input.
4: One of them was a volume control for other people in the theater. So if someone is a loud talker, you can move them down a little bit. If your sister is talking too much over a movie or if everyone won't shut up because you really want to see this scene, you can just mute them. We did not have that at first, and that was something that users told us very clearly that they wanted.
0: (laughs) That is pretty awesome. I mean, it's like the people have spoken about (laughs) not wanting other people to speak. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, just be quiet, especially during the intense parts of the movie, please and thank you. So, Dom, what does Daniel have to say about how— The pandemic has affected Senor. Big surprise, they're seeing
1: massive, massive growth in the service, and he has his hands full.
4: So, you know, starting in about mid-March, we saw usage spike about 15x and then sort of continue to grow from there. And so it's kept us very busy, uh, and I really haven't, like, left my room since then, uh, just working day and night on this.
0: Wow, that is a huge spike. It's got to be so validating for that team. Yeah, it must be. And in fact,
1: on top of that, as, as I said before, they hear from users all the time, and they're always telling him just how senior has mattered to them.
4: We would get email from long-distance couples saying, oh my gosh, you've like saved my relationship. Now we can binge watch these shows and have movie night every week. And we'd have emails from people who were relatives who were reconnecting over shows that they love. And so it was just very obvious that we had built something that people really loved. What I think we have learned, you know, of the many, many lessons we've learned during the quarantine and lockdown was just how important human connection is to people.
0: Dan talked about that human connection, which I think is really the whole point. I mean, a lot of technology, it's on this trajectory to inevitably get social and Mm. the pandemic just kind of hit fast forward for a lot of it. Right. This is an idea whose time has come. But let's come back to one of the earlier theories you
1: had uh, when we started this episode, and it's that what are we going to watch
0: is still very much a problem. Actually choosing a movie, like asking everybody in the virtual room with you, that is uh, a recipe for pain. (laughs) I mean, we are watching a ton of content uh, uh, this year especially,
1: because out there there's an abundance of platforms to pick from.
3: If you think of the list, Apple TV+, Disney+, Netflix, Hulu, Peacock, HBO Max, Quidby, Acorn TV, Amazon Prime Video, ESPN+, CBS All Access, FUBU, DAZN. Now you've got at and TV, Sling TV, YouTube TV, right? I mean that's just off the top of my head. I probably just named 15 to 20 of them. They all tend to do something a little bit different.
1: This is Dan Rayburn. He's an analyst and a reporter. He's the guy that you call when you want to learn something about the streaming video industry because he's the kind of guy who's kind of obsessed with this stuff.
3: In my house, I have about 10 different TVs set up, and I have every streaming box you can possibly think of. It's kind of like a mini lab here, so uh, I'm not your typical consumer. Uh, I obviously just eat, sleep, and breathe this stuff.
1: And he says basically any streaming interface— has to do one job and one job only, and that's help us pick content, but also help us pick it as quickly as possible.
3: Because people don't have a lot of patience these days with services. In the industry, we call it frustration time. How long was the customer, the consumer, frustrated before the video started?
0: The amount of time that I've lost just scanning the libraries for something to watch, trying to find something interesting. Mm. I mean, I don't even want to know. And yeah, it's not to say that any of this stuff is easy to do. Um,
1: listen to how Thomas Williams frames it. He's the co-founder of a design company called Oast Modern in London. He designs these things for a living. He's worked with Fox Plus, Heyu, uh, the BBC.
0: Our key objective as a business is trying not to be noticed. You know, if a user comes in and uses a service that we've designed, the more time they're spending using the bit that we did, the less time they're spending watching content. So that's the slightly unrewarding mission that we're on. I've often somewhat disparagingly referred to us as content plumbers. You know, what people really want is just to be watching stuff. Content plumber. (laughs) Yeah. I haven't heard that term before, but, you know, it makes a kind of a sense. Doesn't it? I mean, the job is basically you make
1: sure everything's hooked up and flowing properly and quickly.
0: Yeah, okay. So Thomas, he talks about working unnoticed, yep. being invisible. Dan Rayburn, he talks about user frustration. You know, In design terms, what we're really talking about here is friction or frictionless design. Anything that's a barrier to what a user wants to do is friction. And if it slows the user down, it has to be mitigated as much as possible. Yeah,
1: so let's keep that in mind. And, and let's keep Thomas's lovely content plumber definition in mind too because now we're going to look at two contrasting streaming services and see what some simple design cues say about the focus for each of them.
0: Deal? Yeah, I'll get my popcorn. There's that sound again. That tells me we're starting with Netflix, which is really the, the biggest streaming platform of them all.
1: At least 180 million or so subscribers around the world. We, we know it has thousands of titles to watch, a ton of original content that we're all kind of eating up.
0: And Netflix, as we all know, has been around a while. I mean, maybe the longest. Yeah, since 2007, actually. Uh, so it gives
1: them a massive lead over the other platforms.
0: It gives them a ton of user research and data to design with too, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, a ton of data. And Netflix is constantly using that data to experiment with how their user interface can be built to better serve uh, the users. Like Suzanne Skaka, she's a subscriber, and she's noticed how Netflix pays attention to her. She's a writer who focuses on web design, UX, and SEO.
2: When you log into Netflix... You get the sense that Netflix is taking all that stuff that you're telling them or just the data in general of you using the service and they're listening and they're, they're responding.
1: So, Koi, I'm sure you've noticed this, right? You, you get onto Netflix and the interface invites you to interact with it when you're browsing for something to watch, you know, to tell it what you like and what you don't like.
0: Yeah, sure. Like the thumbs up or the thumbs down that we can use to rate something.
1: Yeah, and you don't have to use it if you don't want to. But if you do use it, well, the machine is going to reward you for it.
2: It actually helps the the algorithm so that when users are inside Netflix, they get personalized recommendations. And this isn't just in terms of what content they show users first. It's in terms of the different categories they create.
0: Yeah, I mean, depending on what I've been watching recently on Netflix, when I come back to the main search screen... The categories have been, you know, switched up. At the moment, when I look at my categories, I have
1: lists called "Get In On The Action" uh, because you watched Altered Carbon. I'm a sci-fi geek, and something called "Lovable Losers."
0: Actually, I was just looking at mine, and the categories tell a much different story. I've got gritty dramas, uh-huh. familiar TV favorites, and romantic movies. No offense, Claire. That's a pretty unexciting list you know what's interesting is i really haven't been watching a lot of netflix myself lately so maybe the system doesn't want to get too specific maybe it's just trying to interest me in something uh, at a more general level Huh? right
1: because to create those categories to make them specific netflix needs your interaction to crunch some data and it's everything right from the thumbs up and thumbs down ratings to even whether or not you finished watching something
2: So you could be watching something crazy like Old Boy. Old Boy is (laughs) um, this Asian action thriller horror crazy movie. Uh, Netflix would create a special category for that the next time you log in. And you can watch other movies like that.
0: I would definitely look at a category called Asian action thriller horror crazy. (laughs) Actually, I love it. Old Boy. That's a terrific movie.
1: Yeah. Well, this is evidence of Thomas's content plumbing argument. It's Netflix helping you pick something quickly and getting out of the way.
0: They don't have much of a choice, though, do they? I mean, there's way too much content on Netflix to just browse, unless you're some kind of a sadist.
1: <laughs> right, right. Well, and, and, and here's another way, then, that they also help with that, because you're right. They, they need to help you. Uh, earlier this year, I'm sure you noticed this— Uh, Netflix launched a top 10 feature.
0: Right, yeah, there's a list now when you go into Netflix of what's trending and it's designed really to stand out from all the other lists and all the other boxes on the page. Uh, It's got these really big numbers, one through 10 next to each of the titles. You can't miss it.
1: Generally speaking, Koi, top 10 lists are not revolutionary. Yeah, hardly. But it is a bit of a shift for Netflix. Our streaming expert, Dan Rayburn, He actually thinks it's a big deal.
3: You never historically could use Netflix's platform and know what the most popular content was. That's very interesting because consumers are always looking for, well, what are other people watching? What this is, is it's
0: social proof, basically. Yeah. I mean, you've probably seen a ton of promos on Netflix that you've paid attention to and maybe a ton more that you've ignored. But if you see that top 10 list, you're thinking, oh, everybody's watching this, so maybe I'd better not miss out on it.
1: Yeah, and until now, this, this kind of social proof was just not something Netflix would showcase. They piloted the idea, first in Mexico and the UK, for more than six months, just to see if it's something they
0: actually did want to roll out. Wow, that is an impressive amount of care and attention to a pretty small UX feature. Yeah, it might seem small. It might
1: even seem obvious but even the way that they make that list is vintage Netflix because the top 10 lists themselves are tailored to be unique to
0: you. Oh, So my top 10 is different from your top 10. I actually genuinely did not know that.
1: Yeah, Netflix says it's updated every day, it's relative to your country, and the position of a title depends on whether or not the shows and movies are relevant to what you're interested in.
0: Yeah, this is a really good example of how Netflix is really kind of incentivized to remain laser-focused on the user experience, because they are a subscriber-based business, so they really want the whole experience to be as efficient and pleasing as possible.
1: Because there's plenty of competition out there, right? Right. So... Netflix wants to build an affinity for the service. This is how Susan Skaka sees it.
2: The fact of the matter is there are just so many streaming platforms out there right now. If the experience isn't there, you don't give them any extra value, they're just going to see you as some cheap subscription, cheap app that they can throw away after a month when they're done binging it and then move on to something better. So what you need and what we've learned from watching Netflix over the years is to have a killer UX.
1: So Koi, I think the Netflix lesson here is this, a robust content recommending interface that listens and responds to what subscribers are watching is a killer way to build loyalty in your users.
0: So Netflix can pull all of this off because, you know, like we said before, they have this really deep pool of user research, user data to help them constantly refine the experience for their subscribers. So what happens when you want to design
1: a beautiful interface, but you don't have any of that user data? Like say you're launching something from scratch. This is the challenge that Quibi seems to be facing. And it's the platform that we're talking about next. Koi, what do you
0: know about Quibi? It's a streaming service from Jeffrey Katzenberg. He's a former Disney chairman. And all of their content is super short and it's designed specifically to be watched on a smartphone. Yeah, yeah. In fact, Quibi is short for quick bites. Um,
1: episodes, like you said, they're short. They're never longer than 10 minutes. Even Even movies, because they've made movies for this, They break those up in chapters of 10 minutes or less.
0: Yeah, I'm actually looking at the Quibi app here on my phone. The interface is really well done. It's very nice, very slick, very simple.
1: And if you remember Thomas Williams, he's the streaming designer we heard from earlier. Mm -hmm. He's just as intrigued by Quibi's interface as you and I might be.
0: I am a sucker for nicely designed video platforms, and it looks great, and it fits the format of the phone really well. It's definitely not cluttered. It's all card based and the cards just flow one to the other really quickly, really easily. Just enough information, a lot of the right kind of visual cues in the right places. You kind of want to just keep swiping. It's, it's,
1: it's fun to engage with. I think they were really smart to really think about the device.
0: Yeah, and even the video format itself is well-designed. I mean, it reframes the image depending on whether you're looking at your phone in landscape or portrait. That's one of the sort of hallmark features. They call it turnstile technology,
1: and they use it as, as part of the pitch to subscribers. But it still leaves Thomas
0: with a question. My concern for something like Quibi would be that it's maybe a little bit of a triumph of the beautiful design and a great idea but um, good design can't make content better so it will really come down to how good the content is yeah let's talk about the content for a second because yeah it's a little bit all over the place
1: well Koi let's look at the content this way you've got your phone right in front of you so so why don't you scroll through some of those swipeable cards and and call out a random show that catches your attention that catches your eye
0: yeah let's see here's one it's called Bar- architecture and the tagline reads Furry Friends, Dazzling Design, Celebrity Clients. Um, it's a show about luxury dog houses. Okay, so there's that. Now,
1: I came across a, a competitive cooking show called Dish Mantled. <laughs> I, I, w- I watched some of this, I, I will admit. Each episode starts with contestants getting an entire dish of food, blasted at them with an air gun, and then they have to sort of taste the scraps, guess what it is, and race to cook a copy of it. I'm
0: almost afraid to ask if it was enjoyable to watch or not.
1: (laughs) It's funny, I guess. Um, But the thing is, it moves really fast, at least. So it's like the episode just shows up, gets in your face, says what it has to say, and then it's just gone like six or seven minutes later and then you're left not really sure what just happened and that not being sure what just happened actually is something that um, Dan Rayburn feels when he's looking at the content being
3: displayed on his phone. It's just really odd when you know you have a one show where it's like a woman who stays at home with her cat Like, literally, that's what it was advertising to me. And then the next swipe up is, you know, 300 people died in New York yesterday in the pandemic. And it's like, wow, that's such a contrast in content, and one has nothing to do with the other. So Quibi's content selection is kind of just a free for all.
0: Yeah. So Dan is really criticizing the Quibi experience there. But, you know, in fairness, he could just as well be describing the YouTube experience, except I guess. YouTube is free, and Quibi wants you to pay for it. Yeah, and that is the thing here, right? That's the
1: challenge. Quibi sees an untapped market in short-form content because sites like YouTube are thriving. Um, And so they decide, let's just spend a bunch of money, reportedly a billion dollars for their first year, making high-quality, short-form content in the hopes that you're going to want to give them money for it.
0: Yeah. I mean, they definitely have a unique vision for a a different way that people might consume video content. And they obviously believe that there's an audience for this. At the same time, they don't really know that that's the case. So it really looks like they're trying to swing for the fences here. And a big part of that is they're trying to wow us right out of the gate. Yeah. And the bet here is that there are enough young,
1: uh, phone-addicted, attention-challenged people out there who will give this content and give this platform a shot and it's a bet that dan rayburn isn't
3: sure about quibi really felt that they could change and they were very clear about this they felt they could change the consumption of mobile video in the u.s with consumers they felt like they could get consumers to adopt the way they want them to consume video on mobile i don't quite understand this because it sounds like they're trying to solve a problem in the market that doesn't exist
0: Right, exactly. The problem is that the design can only do so much because when you try to change consumer behavior, that is a really, really difficult challenge. And the thing is, it takes a lot of time, which Quibi may or may not have. I mean, it's just like Thomas said, it will very quickly come down to the content and whether or not it resonates. And so far, that is the big lesson in Quibi's first year. I
1: mean, after it's April launch, downloads of the app just tanked. And as we entered summer, like reports were suggesting that Quibi was on track to miss its projected first-year subscription target by as much as 70%. Ugh,
0: things are not looking good for Quibi.
1: I mean, really, who knows where this is going to end up? But at this moment, Dan Rayburn, the analyst, he isn't optimistic.
3: As we say to everything in our industry, content is king. You have to have the right type of content. If you don't, it doesn't matter how good your UI, UX is, your technology, consumers won't stay. And they certainly won't pay for it. And I think Quibi is is really going to struggle.
1: So, Koi, having run quickly through some of the details of the Quibi and Netflix interfaces, what would you say is the focus of each platform?
0: Well... Let's start with Netflix. Uh, It's Mm -hmm. pretty clear that they know exactly how they need to remix that massive content library they've got so that they put the right stuff in front of the right subscriber at the right time. I mean, we haven't even talked about how Netflix is available on pretty much any device that you can think of. Phones, TVs, computers, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's even on my PlayStation. Yeah, there you go. It's like what Netflix is saying is, we'll come to you wherever you are, we'll come to you. And... That is an example of a really frictionless approach to the user experience. Right. Okay. So Quibi? Well, with Quibi, the focus is kind of the opposite. They're driven by this mission to invent a new form of content, a new way of watching. And it's kind of all locked into a single device. Yeah. Quick bites on smartphones. Yeah, exactly. So it's like Quibi is saying, please come to us. We're on your phone. And that's pretty much it. There's a lot of friction in that concept. I think they've realized that, though.
1: After launch, they they rushed to build support for Chromecast and Apple TV devices so you could throw the content up on another screen. Apparently, people were really complaining.
0: Yeah, I bet they were. But the thing is, it's not like trying something new isn't worth trying. I mean, it is. But as you pointed out, the data suggests that they're struggling right now. And, you know, we made fun of Quibi's content earlier, but in fairness, (laughs) not all of Netflix shows are all that amazing either.
1: Right. I mean, surely there's an audience for a show about luxury dog houses. There must be. Yeah, or else why make it. I mean, so long as the audience is okay with watching it on a small screen in chunks of 10 minutes or less.
0: Yeah, and you know what? Despite all the hard work that goes into products like this... There is still a ton of other choice out there, so I don't know that we'll ever have a perfect solution for finding something to watch.
1: Well, at least for now, you and I can agree on Space Force, right? Should we go back to Scenar and get another episode going? <laughs> I
0: mean, I don't know. Could we try something different? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, what do you want to watch? Uh, have you seen The Irishman yet?
1: Yeah, you know, I started. I got kind of got a little bored. Maybe one of the new Star Wars movies, I
0: Oh, please. No, I already nearly stabbed my eye out after that last one. <laughs> okay, how about the last really? dance? Did Michael Jordan well, I'm Dominic wondering. Girard is a producer at Wireframe, and I'm Koi Vin. Next time on Wireframe, some designers believe that a well-designed gadget or app can help us manage stress, anxiety, and even give us a good night's sleep along the way. Is that true? Or are these solutions just a kind of digital snake oil? We'll find out. This is Wireframe, an original podcast from Adobe XD. Learn more about designing with XD by visiting adobe.ly slash tryxd.